0: Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled The Failure of Blame, and it is a standalone sermon. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, Here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. This is a standalone sermon, not a part of a series, and I'm talking about the failure of blame. I want to talk about the way to to reach your goals and to have the year that you want to have means you have to make sure you deal with blame and excuse-making, and you put that aside, and you learn how to overcome that. So to help you to do that, I, I want to I make the case for you today that blaming other people, blaming circumstances, blaming this, blaming uh, whatever, blaming the fact that you don't like vegetables as to why you can't eat right, uh, blaming the fact that your spouse won't go on the diet with you or blaming the blaming the fact that you don't have time, uh, I want to I want to make the case that blame that blame will make you lame. That's really what I want to want to tell you today, <laughs> right? Default mode. So here's the here's the thing about blame. And that that we have we have default modes. Default modes are necessary for survival. Life's just too complicated for you to have to think about everything you do. So, so God has so wired our brains, we just automatically do some things. And some people have, uh, understand this, and, and they, even, they even make a choice to, to put more things on autopilot. Steve Jobs, for instance, if you ever see a picture of Steve Jobs, he always has a black turtleneck on, right, he, when he was living, because he made a decision that he would wear the same thing every day. He wore the same thing every day because he didn't want to use his incredible brain on picking out clothes. So he, he reduced decision fatigue by doing that. You know, there's all kinds of defaults. You know, your, 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 your baby cries and, and you automatically run and help them. Now, eventually you realize that to re- raise a responsible and unselfish person, you have to correct that. And so, at safe times... Don't run over to the little monster. I mean the, 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 the sweetheart. You, you know, you have to or you'll raise a brat or 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 maybe you're someone who has high empathy and you just automatically if someone expresses need, you just want to run over and help them, and that's a good thing, by the way. But it takes real wisdom and power for a highly empathetic person to know that always running to help another person can enable their addiction, right? See, defaults can be good, and they're necessary, but if you're going to reach the goals you have for 2019 and the goals for your life and keep those resolutions and, 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 and move into a better place, you're going to have to control what might be the most, the most lightning-fast, knee-jerk reaction that we all struggle with, and that's reflexive, I would call it reflexive blame. Immediately blaming somebody else. So, Brenny Brown, who I, I'm not recommending Brenny as a, theologian, by the way, so don't go watch Brenny Brown, B- B- Brown to, to uh, learn to exegete those scripture or Christian life, but she's, I tell some interesting stories, and she, she's, a, she's a shame researcher. Some of you have seen her through the GLS and other places, but she tells this little story about one morning, she, she's dressed to go out, she's a professor at the uh, University of Houston, so she's dressed to go to work, she's got an, a pair of white slacks, And she is in the kitchen on the tile floor drinking drinking her second cup of coffee. She drops the coffee. It hits the floor. Coffee all over her white pants. And in a millisecond, the words that came out of her mouth were, her husband's name is Steve. The words that came out of her mouth was, bleep you, Steve. Now, as it turns out, Steve plays water polo. And... Uh, she has asked him, as she tells the story, to always get home by 10 o'clock because she can't go to sleep if he doesn't get home by 10 o'clock. She can't go to sleep till he comes home, right? The night before, he was late, and it was past 10.30 when he got home, so she didn't get to sleep at her normal time. Hence, she was drinking a second cup of coffee. What's, what's interesting about that little story, and that little story has happened to all of us, what's interesting about that little story is that she didn't even have to think about it. She immediately, her brain was faster than, than her heart, and it made the connection, he got home last night, he's the reason I dropped a cup of coffee on the floor and ruined my white pants. Shame is such a powerful emotion. When, when we're running late, we pray. When we're already running late for an important appointment, we pray for a school bus. Now, some of you are ahead of me. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you know what, you, what I mean? You're already late for a very important appointment. And you pray, oh, God, give me a school bus. Because if you can get a school bus, it may be only two blocks that you're behind a school bus. And it may have only made you three minutes later. But you can walk in the door of that meeting and say, I got behind a school bus. so we'll break it down this way the problems with habitual and reactionary blame the empty promises of blame and going from blame to becoming Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband. It was with her, and he ate it. Then the both of them, the eyes of both of them were opened, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the, the Lord God called to the man, "'Where are you?' He answered, "'I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid.' And he said, "'Who told you you were naked?' Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam said, yes, I did. And I take full responsibility for my actions. And leave her out of this. She's innocent. I give Andy Stanley credit for that one. No, no, he didn't do that, did he? (laughs) The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. I'm not to blame. In fact, God, you're to blame. She gave me some of the Then the Lord said to the woman, who is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. It seems that the initial problem created by the fall was blame. We became blamers. Now, I'm going to jump over to the book of John, chapter 5, verse 1, a passage that I preached about recently, but I'm going to go back to it. And we'll refer to it throughout the message today. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is an Aramaic. It's called Bethesda, which is easy for you to say, right? and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blame, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well, sir? I mean, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And we'll get back to why it's important in a minute. So let's look at the problems with habitual reactionary blame. Blame is not, by the way, an evil concept. Uh, our, uh, our United States jurisprudence system It's built on guilt and innocence. Uh, If you you need to get a settlement because of some egregious violation that's been committed against you, uh, blame is is an important um, thing to have happen. Uh, If you're a a sibling in a a family and you're a child in a family or a person in a family, you don't need to be a child and all the snacks are disappearing... And so there's no snacks to take to school or work. It's important to find out who's to blame. It's important to find out who's raiding the snack box late at night. Blame is not altogether a bad thing. In fact, Paul was writing to Timothy about how widows should be treated by the church and, and also how widows should behave in the community. And he explained that he gave those instructions so that no one will be open to blame. So we're not talking about not holding yourself and other people accountable for their actions. We're not trying to create an environment without confrontation. Without, sometimes without confrontation, there's no reconciliation. So we're not trying to create a culture of irresponsibility. This sermon is about—it's really about the power, the ultimate power of personal responsibility. You might have heard of Brian Colfage. I think I'm pronouncing it right. I've only seen it in print and haven't heard it. But he's this triple amputee Iraqi war veteran who believes very much that we need that southern border wall. As of yesterday, and he only started doing this a few weeks ago, as of yesterday, Brian Colphage had raised $18 million with his GoFundMe account to build President Trump's wall. That's what I call taking personal responsibility. (laughs) <laughs> the culture today, of course, is supporting a habit. The cu- Culture is always doing some things right and some things wrong, so I'm not always critical of culture, but culture today is supporting a habit of habitual and reflexive blame. They really are. As I've already made very clear, blame has its role in the creation of justice, but when you're being taught to focus entirely on a victim-oppressor narrative, it, it, it will cripple you even even if there's a person or a group of persons who are being unfairly treated in a society, and that needs to be addressed. Corruption needs to be addressed. People being taken advantage of needs to be addressed. Outright discrimination needs to be addressed. That's part of social justice, and it's, it's, the, it's the, supposed to be the role of government. But if you don't go to those that person or group of persons who have been disadvantaged for many years and neglected in some way, even if you correct and you should correct, we should correct the disadvantage. We should correct that, those, those inequities everywhere we can. We should create equity of opportunity. But if you don't go and teach that person or the group of persons about the power of responsibility, they will squander their opportunity when equity of opportunity is given to them. Blamers are consumed with certain obsessions. Blamers are consumed with an obsession to assign blame. The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Notice he did not get healed as long as it was someone else's fault. He didn't get better as long as he was focused on what others were not doing for him. He only got better when someone told him, take personal responsibility for your healing. Take up your bed and walk. Blamers are consumed with that obsession to blame. Blamers are consumed with congregating with victims and affirmers. Here a great number of Disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. John chapter five, verse three. See, we naturally attract people with like precious problems, and there are in every group and in every culture and every community there are professional sympathizers who find their value in affirming how we are misunderstood. You will, You don't even, probably don't even need to leave this room to find someone who will listen to your blaming conversation and affirm that you are 100% right. And they will even tell you a story about that person or thing or persons or situation. They will add to your repertoire and they will increase your syllabus of why you cannot get better and do better and why you cannot change and why you cannot succeed because life is not fair. Blamers are consumed with an obsession to assign blame, to congregate with victims and affirmers, and live in bitterness toward real and imaginary oppressors. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. My dad, of course, this is before iPads and laptops and the ways that I take notes, but my dad and i I think have a similar approach to the bible I, I i i write every day. I write stuff every day that I feel that I see in the word and, and other other places, just knowledge I, I love it and And my dad was like that. My dad would sit around and sit in his chair and Bible and books on either side of him, and uh he would he would have just Stacks of little pieces of paper, not organized. I'm sure he, he didn't keep any of them. So he had no system to organize them. But just little scraps of paper with stuff that he felt God was showing him. And he would write these things. And one day I remember going by his chair. And there, there on the, t- the, the little side table was the words, the mighty minority. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us. Who can be against us? <laughs> Dad understood. Dad understood you don't need a lot of people believing in you if you believe in you and if you believe in God. You don't need everybody, you don't need the whole world to cooperate for you to succeed. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I'll give the Lord a hand. That's fine. So it's time. Blamers assign blame, congregate with victims and affirmers, live in bitterness toward real and imaginary enemies, and never overcome the crippling fear of being at fault. There's an interesting line there at the end of the passage I read to you a minute ago. Verse 8 says, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now the reason John put that in there is because Jesus was going to get blamed For healing a man on the Sabbath. He was going to be seen at fault by by the religious leaders for having a man pick up a mat and walk away on the Sabbath. But I want to tell you something about Jesus, and I feel so strongly about this. I I made sure and had the guys do a projection of it, so you're gonna see it on the wall. Jesus had absolutely no fear of being blamed or being at fault. That was his secret. Jesus knew he was going to get excoriated by the scribes and Pharisees for breaking one of their silly rules. And think about it for a minute. This same attitude, I'm trying to think how to say it best, but this same attitude that Jesus had about blame and shame that other people would put on him, was what enabled him to save the world. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink him in. The cross that Jesus would carry up Golgotha's hill was a cross of blame for the sins of the world. And Jesus said, Put it on me. I'm okay with everybody thinking I'm the big sinner. I'm okay with everybody thinking I'm the big criminal. You are saved today because Jesus did not care that people thought he was at fault. Jesus did not care that people blamed him. Christ, the innocent and vulnerable Lamb of God, wasn't terrified that people would hold him responsible for something he didn't do. That's freedom. Sure, Jesus assigned blame to other people sometimes, all the time. <laughs> he wasn't afraid. It wasn't because he was, he was a wimp. Now, some people won't blame anybody else because they're so weak that, and they're so afraid that they're afraid of confrontation. Jesus wasn't afraid of confrontation. But when blame wasn't redemptive, when hyper-personality was, the, the, was, was going to be redemptive, and I was going to have more virtue than exposing. Jesus that's what I'll do. I'll, I won't say anything. I'll let people run their mouth and say whatever they want to say about me. I'll let them run their mouth, have their opinion, tweet their tweets, post their Facebook postings, do their Instagram. I'll let them do, say whatever they want to say because I, it's going to be more redemptive for me to keep my mouth shut and let them think what they want to think. some of of you on the sound of my voice have expended copious amounts of energy assigning blame to other persons or other groups but it hasn't brought reconciliation it hasn't brought closeness it hasn't brought intimacy the onus is now on you not the person or group whom you've assigned blame to move things forward so you feel you're the righteous one in a conflict okay it's not the other party that has the power to make things better though it's you you have the power. In some cases, you can actually reconcile. In some cases, you can be intimate again with that person. But in, but in every case, take up your bed and walk. And you walk in power. You walk in victory. And you walk in success, no matter if people didn't ever help you into the water. Amen? Let, let's, let's move on and let's talk about the empty promises of blame. Perhaps there's no accomplishment more overrated than blame. Think about Adam for a minute. God shows up. He's blown it. He's eaten of the tree of the of the knowledge of good and evil. He's plunged society into darkness that we're still living in today. And he automatically thought that the most productive use of his time was to show God it wasn't his fault. That was... I mean that's like that's like running over a child you know you're driving your car and you hit a child who runs out in the street and the child is broken and bleeding and crying and needs an ambulance and needs to get to the hospital and and you you stand in front of the child and 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 say before we do anything i want everybody to know it's not my fault Let's get that straight before we take this child to the hospital. Let's let them. Jesus was Jesus was the doctor who came to heal. God was the doctor in the book of Genesis who came to heal. He wasn't the jury and the judge. He was the doctor. Blame can bring justice, but not transformation. Blame can bring pity, but not healing. Empathy, but not power. Blame can bring understanding, but not praise. John 5.15, the man who went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Blame didn't, didn't bring him to a place of praising Jesus, but personal responsibility did. Personal responsibility unleashed the power of God. It unleashed the power of Jesus in his life. I want to ask you a question today what story are you giving your future self what story are you giving your future self today you know you're you're planning the life of your future self what question will your future self inspire so what do you mean well are you are are you planning a life so that a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years from now, people are going to look at you and say, how did you succeed? How did you overcome all of that to do this thing that you did? Now, you're planning that now, whether anyone will ask that. Or will people go, how did you blow such an opportunity? You, you might be, you remember, there's, there's, there's a couple of, of Simpson episodes where Homer's about to do something really, really detrimental. You know, like one time he's going to eat a jar of mayonnaise. And Marge says, that's going to make you sick. And he said, that's a problem for future Homer. (laughs) That's a problem for future Homer. That's not a problem for Homer. That's a problem for future Homer. Well, what kind of life are you creating for future Homer? <laughs> going, let's move to the third idea of this message going from blaming to becoming. Brendan Burchard said, first it is an intention, then a behavior, then a habit then a practice, then a second nature, then it's simply who you are, then it's simply who you are, first it's an intention, what do you intend, what is your goal, where are you trying to go, before anything else you need to fix your intention. Fix your intention, or it's another word for that is motivation. What is motivating you? Where are you trying to go with your life? What kind of life do you want to have? What kind of life do you want your children to have? What kind of life do you want your grandchildren to have? What kind of ministry impact do you want to have? What do you want to, what do you want to present when you stand before God, the God of all eternity, and you stand before him, not to determine necessarily whether you're going to heaven or hell, but you stand before him at the place of of accountability. You know that. There there will be an accountability before God. The scripture is very clear about this, that we we will have moments of accountability before God about how we've spent our life, not whether we're saved or unsaved, but moments of accountability before God about what we use the word stewardship, how we invested our life. I want to stand before God And be able to show him that I did the maximum I could have done with the opportunity that he gave me. That's what I want to do. It's a great time today to start seeing a new vision for your life. The great first step is to stop blaming and start believing. Remember, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. All blaming will do is give you more excuses. I find it interesting that all the story, the invalid and John 5 and Adam and Eve seem completely different. They have similarities. One, we have to get our own, we have to own our negative realities. That's the first step. We have to own if, Physically, you're not in the condition you should be in. And, and I'm not talking about because of disease that, is, that, that you had no control over. If you're not where you need to be, the first step is to realize I'm not where I need to be. If, if you don't have a close relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with God where you're in the Word on a regular basis and you're praying and you're sharing your faith and you're, you're involved in a ministry, we have, we have three steps to our, the Bethany vision is, is love, grow, serve. Our goal, my goal for every one of you in this room is that you will move, first of all, that you will be, feel loved by God and by us, that you will experience love. And that's what, part of what we want to happen in the weekend service. We want you to experience the love of God in the songs, in the service, by the greeters at the front door, by the people that sit around you. We want to experience the love of God. And then, you, then we want you to learn to show that love back. And then that, that moves you to the next step, which is to Grow. As you grow, you begin to develop more, like, more Christ-likeness in your life, so you become better at loving the people around you and making them feel loved and, and affirmed and cared for, and you practice accountability toward them. And, and the, the, the final step is that we want you to be able to serve. Well, well you, in fact, we're going to be doing a survey the, toward the end of January, we're doing a, a study called the Reveal Study. We're going to ask you to cooperate. And in this study, we're going we're to put the stethoscope on all of us, and we're going to find out how well are we doing. How well are we doing in moving people from, from not knowing the Lord at all to actually becoming disciples of Jesus Christ? How well are we doing? So where are you? I mean, you might say, well, you, you know, the uh, interesting thing that they have discovered in recent surveys that, it, that people who read the Bible once a week, there was very little change in their life. People who read the Bible twice a week, there wasn't a lot of change. People who were, even read three times a week, there wasn't a lot of transformation. But when any, what they've discovered is a person would read the Bible four or more days a week. Just engaged with the scripture four or more days a week, there was dramatic transformation in their life. So maybe you're sitting here today and you go, you know, I don't, I don't read the Bible at all. I read the Bible one day a week. I read it two days a week. So that's embracing the, your negative reality. Embrace the negative reality. doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, you know that, that, that man that Jesus healed, absolutely, Jesus did not address in the beginning, this is a very important point, related to his healing, Jesus did not address his character at all. The only part of his character that Jesus kind of addressed was his willingness to take personal responsibility. But he didn't address that. Now, later he did. Later he did address it. But at the beginning, he didn't address that at all. So it's not saying you're an awful person, you're a bad person, you're just a human being, and life, it, life is difficult. And, and life is coming at you in a million ways from, from Sunday, and it's difficult and it's hard. The Lord says, if you will begin to to embrace responsibility, pick up responsibility, begin to take up your bed, my miracle power comes when you start to try. Effort, effort inspires God, effort, your effort inspires God's effort, and God's effort is a lot better than yours, Amen? God's effort is a lot better than yours, but still, your effort, your effort triggers God's effort. So, we have to own our negative realities. We have to be willing to do something that will be hard. You know, for the last several years, we've told young people to pursue their passion. That's not really always great advice. Pursue your passion. Pursue your passion. I say, because what happens to us, sometimes the thing thing we feel passionate about is not very hard. But the thing that will actually give us the life that we want to have is hard. I say, say don't pursue your passion primarily. Pursue your skill and seize opportunities. Pursue what you're good at. You may... You may love, you may love um, singing. I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say singing because I'm going to offend somebody. But you may love singing, but, but, you, but only your mother thinks you're good. Stop asking your mother what you're good at. But if you'll do a little probing and investigating, asking around, and, and there's all kinds of analytical tools you can use. You can find out what you're really good at. That's what's going to give you the life that you want to have, is what you're good at. And, and I, know, I know we have a, a, a young man in our congregation who's here this morning who, who, whose passion is building video games, and he's probably really good at it. Uh, Josh, you're probably really good at building video games. I know, so I'm not implying you're not good. But I know you told me the other day, you said, I, I have this job, but that's not my passion. My passion is building video games. So Josh gets up at three thirty in the morning to build video games, so he can go to his job at seven. See, that's smart. That's 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 not saying, well, I I I I have a passion to build video games, and therefore I know that going to. I know that there are people out there going to make me a millionaire building video games. Well, they they might they might, but they might not. Pursue your skill and seize your opportunity. Be willing to do things. See. Blaming isn't necessarily being wronged by other people in bitterness. It can just be about excuse making and circumstances. You know, yesterday, um, yesterday, uh, I had I had a lot of rough notes, and it's about nine o'clock in the morning, and I'm over at the office, and preparations going really well for this sermon. I was really feeling good about it. And I get a phone call. Sherry said, "Can you go check on my dad at the urgent care?" And, uh, you know, I, I went and checked on him, and sure enough, he's uh, he's in a lot of pain. And, long story short, I ended up taking him to the emergency room. And, of uh, course, you know how the emergency room visits go you have uh, one doctor after another comes in, and they ask the same questions. And you answer all those questions, and some other doctor that never met that other doctor comes in, and they ask questions, and you, answer, you know how it goes. So it went it went this went for hours, and I could have gotten someone else to come. We have a wonderful pastoral care team. I could have said, you know, guys, I got to go back to my sermon. Would you come? But I, I listen. I owe pop. I owe dad so much. It was an honor to serve him. Really was because I, I haven't. I haven't, you know, he's he's not the easiest person to do anything for, because he's so competent himself, and he doesn't like you to help him and all of that. So it was an honor for me to sit there from nine to four thirty. It was an honor to sit there and 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 help feel the doctor's questions and all of that and, and get him in surgery. And uh, you know, I'm leaving there about four thirty. This all I got is these rough notes, right? And I also remembered my goal was to spend 30 minutes on the elliptical and lift weights. And I really wanted a cup of coffee from Starbucks. So I'm having this spiritual battle. <laughs> if I go out, drive to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, I won't, I won't make it to work out. And I've got this, I got this sermon up there at the office. I need to get to the sermon. I'm having, I'm having flesh and spirit just going crazy inside of my brain. And I, I finally said, you know, I got this goal. I got this workout goal. And I got this physical fitness goal that I have, to, I have to conquer this. And I thought, how will I feel afterwards? What will make me feel better later this evening? Working out and then going to finish my sermon. So I, got, I have to work out. I got 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I got to go run to the gym so I drove to the gym. Fortunately, I already had my, my sweatpants on and my running pants. And I go to the gym and I work out the weights a little bit. And then I run to the office and I finish the sermon. I don't know. Maybe the sermon was a total disaster. I don't. Want, I don't want to know. But um, <laughs> you don't want to hear my excuses. Well, I got this thing happened yesterday. I was going to have a sermon today, but you know things happen. And let's just let's just join hands and pray. <laughs> you know. You. you no, that's. Blame makes you lame. Blame makes you lame. So I, I, worked till ten o'clock, and then I got up at four o'clock this morning, and here I am, and I feel great. It, I only, I only shared. I, did, I almost didn't share that. That people will understand if I say that story. If I tell them that story, they understand what I mean by by taking personal responsibility and not. Something's going to happen every week to keep you from your goals. Something's going to happen every week that's going to t- make you drink again or smoke pot again, or something's going to happen every week to make you fight with your spouse again and break up the intimacy of that marriage. Something's going to happen every week unless you get tough, unless you get determined and say, Devil, I'm not taking it anymore, and I don't care if I go only sleep three hours tonight. I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Amen? And when you get that attitude... The armies of heaven say, we're coming to help. That's what happens, man. Finally, I want to say this. We have to be willing to let God show us where we're wrong. This is why the blame game never stops. Because, you know, you do this, and I've done this too with people. You you draw a pie chart. You know, they're having a fight with your spouse. You draw a pie chart. And you, you know that they think... The, 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 the pie chart, you know, you divide the blame and you say, what percentage of blame is yours? And it's always 10%. <laughs> you know, if you're talking to the husband, it's always 10%. The wife, it's always 10%. So, we, so great, that's fine. And only 10%, fine. Let's work on your 10%. You know they never can. It's too much fun to talk about the 90% of the other persons at blame. It's too much fun. It's just too awesome. But when God dealt with us, here's what God always wants to do. He says, Phil, I want to talk to you about you. I want to talk to you about your behavior. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning. Now, I wouldn't have done that. I'm thinking I read that. Jesus, I wouldn't have done that. Come on. (laughs) Jesus found him and said, You're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, I'm not trying to build a doctrine on this at all. I don't know what his sinning had to do with his, his in, being an invalid. I have no idea. But I know Jesus, Jesus said, you've got to take personal responsibility, not only for getting your healing, but you've got to take responsibility for your, every pet of your life. Genesis 3, and the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand, take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Again, God says to Adam, Adam, this is what you did. This is what you did, Adam. Eve helped you. This is what y'all did together. Let me tell you a prayer that God will always answer. I'm telling you, some of you are frustrated. You don't hear from God very much. I want to tell you right now how you can hear from God 100% of the time. You will always get an answer. If you say, God, and I'm, you're, you're praying about this problem you have, okay, with this problem in your life. Ask God this. Now, now are you all ears? You all ears? You say, God, what did I do to, to contribute to this problem? You will hear back from God so fast that it will make your head spin. God loves to answer that question. It is the magic prayer that leads us to excellence and God is calling us to excel. God loves us. He wants us to be excellent. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to be powerful. He wants us to succeed in every single area of our lives. He really does. He wants us to have a life full of joy and peace and success. I love 2 Corinthians 8, 7. When since you excel in everything, he said. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and love we have Kindled in you, seeds, you also excel in the grace of giving. And I love that 1 Corinthians 14 12 try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Are you ready to pick up the burden of the greatness that God has for you? That's my question in concluding today. Are you ready to pick up the burden of the greatness that God has planned for your life? Ready to take up your bed and walk to be successful in spite of Some poor choices that you and others have made, by the way. I don't understand the sovereignty of God, but it makes no sense to fight it. The fact is, you are here today in this service, hearing this challenge for a reason. God has picked you out of a crowd of the needy people in the greater Milford area. And he's brought you to this service so you could hear the words, rise up and walk so you could think differently, so you could hear me say you're only, that being blamed, that blame will make you lame. You needed to hear me say that. You might be the first person in your family from your neighborhood or from your high school or your college to hear that message. Well, you owe it to them to give the world your best self. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And if you will step into God's, will for your life, someday you will say, it was Jesus. Now, listen to this. It was Jesus who made me. It was Jesus who made me. I know I'm leaving out a word there, but it, it, it works. It was Jesus who made me. Are you ready to stop everything else and every, are you willing to stop letting everything else make you and everybody else make you? Are you ready to stop blaming and start becoming By the way, I want to to tell you some other good news. This room is full of people who've already taken that step. This room is full of people who have already taken the step to stop making excuses and take control of their life in the name of Jesus. And they're ready to help you, to be a coach or a mentor to your life. How many of you just by a show of hands would say, Pastor Phil, thank you for this sermon, but I've already taken this step. Raise your hand. I've already taken this step. I've already taken taken this step to stop making excuses and blaming. Let's try again, okay? I know there's more than that. I've already taken that step. Look around all the hands. These are people that are ready to help you in your journey. These are people who are ready to walk with you in this step that God has for you. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come right now to the front. And... uh, This is time in our service. We're not having communion today, by the way, but um, this time in our service when we pray for your needs. You come forward for prayer. It doesn't mean that you necessarily are coming because of what the message is about, but you have any need in your life. But maybe some of you want to come forward for that, and you want to say, you know, I've got this situation. I haven't been able to face it, but I want you to pray with me today that God will give me the courage to face it head on. It's not easy, and we admire your courage for doing it. And we're there with you to help you and pray with you in all, every way. And when you stumble and fall, we're there to encourage you and pick you up again. So let's enter this, uh, uh, th- this response time and come and be prayed for today. I'm going to qu- say a quick prayer and then you move in, into place. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the awesome Word of God that gives us direction for our lives. And God, help us to understand today that the reason we don't blame is because blame is a sign that we're putting our trust in the wrong place so we stop blaming and we start trusting we stop looking at the people who didn't help us we stop looking at the people who've hurt us and we look to jesus who's standing right beside us offering us a hand and so we stop blaming and because when we blame we're putting our trust in human beings who can't help or We're putting our trust in circumstances that are always changing. But when we stop blaming, we're saying, God, I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name. Come and be prayed for today.